The Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. Today we're going to talk about our photography workshops and questions that many people have regarding our workshops. Yes, we are going to answer the most often asked questions about workshops. In other words, what we're going to do is tell you everything you've always wanted to know about workshops, but we're too afraid to ask. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, well, we got an email today, and uh, the question in the email was... Do you photograph during workshops? Do you photograph during workshops? And I think that's a question we get very often asked, because uh, a lot of uh, students, I think, are under the assumption that because we teach photography, we shouldn't photograph. And I've always found that it's a little bit like studying cooking and the chef doesn't cook. Or the painter, you study painting and the painter doesn't paint. I, I really believe that uh, you have to learn by, by watching, you know, by s looking at somebody do it. Oh, definitely. Uh, when you and I took art classes, studio, whether it was drawing or painting classes, our teachers were drawing and painting and they would walk around the room and they would look at our drawings and they would make comments or suggestions or sometimes, you know, draw a line or tell you, mm. you know, you need to mix a little bit more of this color, you know, with that, right. with that paint and whatnot. But those studio classes, the instructors were also doing work and we learned a lot from looking at our you know, teachers or, you know, masters mm -hmm. working because at least, you know, I saw things that I never would have seen if I had not looked at my teacher's work. Sure. Well, I mean, I always take the example of somebody attending an Ansel Adams workshop and Ansel Adams doesn't photograph. I mean, what's the value? You want to see the master at work. Right. I mean, why? Because he's able to do things that obviously a beginner cannot do. You know, I mean, let's say we could go back in time and you could take a workshop with Leonardo da Vinci or Michelangelo or Monet or Picasso or, you know, you name your favorite artist, basically. But this artist has it in his description of the workshop that he guarantees he's not going to touch a paintbrush or he's not going to touch a camera. You'll never, ever see him photograph or paint. That's one of the guarantees of the workshop. Would you go? I personally would not go, no. I mean, yeah, exactly. What's the point? Right. I mean, if all the guy is going to tell you is what you could read in a book, then what's the point? Yeah. And I, and I think that's a misunderstanding. So to answer the question, because I'm, I think we haven't answered the question, so, so that there is no shadow of a doubt, yes, I photograph during workshops. But first of all, I don't photograph for myself. I photograph for the purpose of teaching. All of the workshops we lead are to locations where we've been many, many, many times. I'm not here to build a portfolio. I've already built portfolios of these places. <laughs> yes, and you've been photographing <laughs> yeah. them for many, many years. <laughs> I don't need to offer a workshop to Navajoland to go to Navajoland. I live there. You know, we live there for seven years. We've been back. We've been there for 20 years now. Um, if we want to go there, we go there. That's not the reason why we offer a workshop. It may be a little different if we offer a workshop to a place we've never been, you know. And I'm not going to name locations, but I know that's done. I know that some photographers want to take a trip somewhere, organize a workshop to fund a trip. That's not the case. We've lived where we teach for many years, and we go back there on a regular basis. So the purpose is not for me to fund a photography trip. The purpose for me to photograph is to show people how it's done. Exactly. I know with our Antelope Canyon workshop, when we're looking for air light, 
I have heard you a number of times say, come here, I want you to look at my screen and look at these amazing colors that are here right now, because you can't see them, you know, with your own eyes, because our eyes are constantly adjusting and they neutralize everything. Well, also, and another very important point is that it's very difficult for me to get involved without having a camera. I go back to my example of, you know, the masters, be it painting or photography, you know, like I say, pick your favorite artist. And now you're taking a, photo, a workshop with those, one of those favorite artists. And this person is going to tell you how to do it. No, that's not how you study art. You show. Exactly. You know, it's show, don't tell. I mean, if I tell somebody, okay, do this, do that, the person is going to look at me eventually and say, well, why don't you show me? Exactly. That's why I have a camera. Show them. It's hard for me to get involved without taking a photograph. Oh, definitely. It's not a theoretical, no. you know, pr product. You know, it's totally in a practice maze mode. And sometimes it's cultural. Because I know when I taught the Navajos on the Navajo reservation, they are used to observing and to watching, you know, and they would, my students would sit all around me and they weren't asking, oh, can I have some paint or can I have a paintbrush? They would sit right there and they would watch me demonstrate. They would look at my drawings or my paintings and I would show them techniques and they would just sit there and they would watch, mm -hmm. you know, they, you know, weren't asking to have all the materials right away. And so some cultures, they're used to observing, they're used to watching, and they know that this is a natural process of learning. Well, I think that it has, like you say, a lot to do with the culture, but also a lot to do with how people learn. Because if you look at the Navajo, when it comes to art, they learn by watching elders or accomplished artists, you know, accomplished Navajo artists, do their work. Well, they're visual learners. They are visual learners, but there's also no classroom. Right. There, there's that, no class in how true. to do painting. There's no class in how to do drawing, you know, and on and on. There's no class on how to do pottery or drug weaving. They, watch by, they learn by watching. Right. And then by doing. But first by watching. They spend a long time watching uh, as little kids, you know, they watching do. their parents and whatnot. Now, if we compare with how we learn and how a lot or the majority of our students learn, we learn and our students learn in a classroom. We take classes in mathematics, we take classes in the arts, we take classes in every subject possible. And I think that a lot of people have come to the point where they associate the value of learning from somebody telling you how to do it, not from watching somebody do it. Right. And I think that that's where the question comes in, because eventually these questions are valid. Do you photograph during workshops? I think that it makes sense that an artist photographs or paints when they teach, but they don't understand the value because if you take mathematics, for example, it doesn't make any sense to, to solve an equation in front of your class. You have to teach by explaining how you do it. But this is not mathematics. This is not a theoretical subject. This is not philosophy. It's not engineering. It's an art. And in art, you learn by watching, in part. You do. You know, there is no way that a painter can explain how to make a brush stroke. You have to show how to make the brush stroke, and then the, the last students Practice. can see how you did it and then try to do it themselves. The same with photography. How do you find the right light? If I explain how to do it, you're back to my books. 
That's the best that I can do through words. They are in the books. That doesn't cut it. The book can only go so far. Then after that, it's taking people by the hand and say, okay, follow me. I'm going to show you what I would do if I was here by myself. And this is the kind of photograph I'm going to do. Right. And, and you show it by taking a photograph, by showing the, the outcome on the VRCD screen. It's, it's very interesting because I think it comes from a wrong assumption. It actually comes from two places. The first one is a wrong assumption. I get better value out of learning if I'm told rather than shown. That's the first assumption. It's inaccurate without. You get better value if you're shown mm-hmm. than if you're taught. If you, otherwise, just read a book, right? And obviously, people who come on my workshop, for the most part, have read my books and they want more. So it's at the level of showing that the more happens. The second assumption is that because we've taken a workshop in which the photographer was basically funding a private trip through the workshop, which, you know, to be totally honest, is a ripoff. You know, I mean, that shouldn't happen. These artists or these photographers that are doing that are literally ripping off their customers. And I think that most people are very polite and not saying things as I say them, but, you know, my technique and my approach is to say things as they are. And uh, that shouldn't happen. I mean, if you want to go to Destination X, and again, I'm not going to give a location because, uh, you know, I don't want to expose anybody in particular but if you're going to give a, a workshop to location x and usually these are far away workshops very far away destination because the trips cost extremely large amounts of money go there on your own and but don't don't take uh, the excuse of teaching a workshop because obviously they can't teach anything you know and and i think that this is the second assumption and it's a correct one but this is not the case with us so how do you debunk these two assumptions let's say somebody is listening to this and they are thinking well should i take a workshop from alan and natalie or from somewhere else just ask yourself these two questions why are we doing what we are doing why are we photographing and instead of not photographing because we can show by photographing as opposed to just telling right and so it's more you can't see in a book how I do what I do. If you come to a film workshop and I basically read from the book, it doesn't work. You have to go further, and that can only be done by showing. Showing you how I do what I do, then showing you how to do what I do. You know, that is helping you with your work, but also having you watch me do my work. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, am I funding a private trip? Or am I just going there because that's a great location for you to photograph? And obviously, we are going there because they are great locations for the student to photograph because we've lived in those places for all these years. Right. I don't need to take another trip to Antelope Canyon to, to create a portfolio. I'm done. I have the material. <laughs> you know, It's obviously for the purpose of teaching. Oh, yes, we both love to teach. And I think that is another thing to look at when you are considering signing up for a workshop is looking at the education of the photographers and also what their qualifications are. I taught art. We both studied art. You've taught photography. And so now you and I, we're teaching in the field as opposed to teaching in the classroom. You and I both love to teach. We have a passion for it. And that's why we teach these workshops. Yeah, there is an enormous difference between knowing how to do something and knowing how to teach what you know. And that's an assumption that uh, some people have, that because you know how to do something, automatically you know how to teach that thing. That is not true. We know a lot of artists that do fantastic work, that can't explain how they do what they do, and certainly cannot teach how to do what they do. No. I mean, they can certainly show you, but showing is only one step. You have to also explain what you're doing as you show. 
Right. Okay. If you just tell people, okay, watch me, they are going to be blown away after a few minutes because what you're doing is way above their skills. So that's very, very important is looking at the track record of the instructor. First of all, are they instructors? Do they have the training? Do they have the experience? Or do they just have the title photography teacher? You know, Because that's something that we see a lot now, especially with the internet, where we can all do our own promotion. And so in a sense, nobody's there to supervise us. Nobody's there to agree to us giving ourselves a certain title. People name themselves whatever they want, and then you know, off you go, and it's up to people to believe it or not. You know, and we see that a lot in in shows. Although that's a different subject, you go to an art show, and there's all these photographers that have big banners that say "Fine Art Photography." Well, most of the time, it's not fine art photography. It's not even fine. It's not art, and it's barely you know photography at all. It's snapshots. But because they're doing their own promotion, nobody's there to control what they say about themselves. The same applies to workshops. Just because you say, I teach workshops, doesn't mean it's worth anybody's time. You, know, you have to know what you're doing. So how do you verify that an instructor is qualified to teach a workshop? Look at their track record. Have they actually studied teaching? Do they have any sort of training in teaching? You know, and you and I have years of training. I mean, I have taught at the university level for five years. And you have a degree in teaching. And I taught at the PhD level, which means that I had to have teaching classes. Because a PhD in the humanities is basically based on learning a, a, a subject and then teaching that subject. Yeah, but you also went to the Beaux Arts for years where you were drawing and painting right. for eight hours a day. Yeah, so, so as far as the training, you know, and the photography. I have the qualification. <laughs> well, plus, I mean, if anything sh else should matter, I went to school until I was 40. I know. <laughs> That's a bit of learning, yeah. you know. Um, I know. I did not just learn something and then at the age of 22 decided that I would go and make money from it. One of my problems actually is, actually is finding ways of using this massive amount of knowledge. I mean, I wrote three books so far. I've taught for, you know, nearly 10, 15 years and I can barely scratch the surface. There are still massive amounts that I haven't even mined because there is so much accumulation over these 40 years. But that's sort of besides the point. You know, we are trained. The other thing is uh, look at what artists or photographers who are offering a workshop have published. What did they publish? Did they publish anything? I mean, you have to look at the extent of the publication record, so to speak. I published three books uh, that are not self-published, that are published through an editor, through a publisher. I wrote hundreds of essays that have been translated in over 15 different languages. I published many, many essays in magazines and newspapers. I even stopped counting. I've had one-man show. I've had group shows. I mean, I have an extensive track record. And if anybody doubts of that, my curriculum vitae, my CV, is on my site. And it's up to date. And you can download it and, you know, have at it. Um, I have pages and pages and pages of publications. It's very, very important to see the involvement of the teacher. Because otherwise, you're left with teaching superficial things, you know, or teaching things that are not theirs. I know that photographers use my book to teach. That's fine. But if it was me, I'd go straight to the author. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it's always better to go to the source. So these are some ways that you can actually check whether what you're going to learn during a workshop is worth your time and your money or not, you know, because you definitely want somebody who is involved in this. I mean, if I take a workshop with people, and I do, I want somebody who is deeply involved with this that's not just doing that for money. You know. Oh, I agree. And I think that that leads into another question. Do you teach because you can't sell prints, or do you teach because you want to teach? Right? We get that quite often. 
And the reason uh, we get that is because there's a lot of photographers, again, who can't make a living selling prints, and so they teach instead. With us, it's quite the opposite. We teach because we've done very well selling prints, and it has opened up a lot of time that we can make available for teaching. When we were doing prints and we did not know how to sell them the way we know now, that is, we were asking much lower quality, uh, sorry, we were asking much lower prices and offering much lower quality, we had to keep selling them all the time because we only make a small profit per print. Once we learned how to offer high quality and charge high prices, that freed a lot of time because we did not have to sell as many and we were now able to teach. And while we were doing the low quality volume selling, we had people asking us, do you teach workshops? But we couldn't because we were basically slaves. Oh, um, you had an audience that was waiting, just waiting for you to offer workshops. And the minute that Grand Canyon show ended, you had a number of people that were just, you right. know, waiting for you to, they were like, please, please teach me how to do what you do. And once you started to announce those workshops, uh, it really took off because you had an audience that was literally waiting for years for you to teach what you teach. Sure, and we did not have the time. No, we because couldn't. Because we, we were basically selling well, we were slaves. so much. We were slaves <laughs> to volume, yeah. And, you know, this is a different topic, but that's the, na the, the yes. subject of the book that I wrote on marketing, how to not do volume. <laughs> right. Because volume will kill you. And if it doesn't kill you, it's going to rob you of your time. Right. Is, we, we basically had become selling machines. All we did was sell and, and print and pack and ship and mat. And, well, I know um, for me, when I was teaching art, there there's a... A misconception out there that um, you know people who cannot make a living off of their art become art teachers mm -hmm. and I would make it perfectly clear no that's not why I became an art teacher I have no desire to sell my work whatsoever I became an art teacher because I love teaching art and I am very good at it Sure. No, you I mean, know, so you know, there's all of these misconceptions. There out is a there. lot of misconceptions because there is a lot of misconceptions about art. There is a misconception that says starving artists. Well, you and I are very far from starving. I mean, you know, starving artists don't collect sports cars. Um, but, you know, that is what it is, and, and that's just an unfortunate thing. We, are, we just have to, you know, explain that it's not the case. Um, exactly. We can't do much more than that. You know, if you think we are starving, come visit us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll impress you and uh, we'll show you that we are not starving. We had the last, well, no, not the last time, but we had a friend of us, of ours that came to our house and told me literally after seeing the house, well, that does it for your starving artist image. <laughs> you remember? That's and I told him, yeah. I said, you know, I've been there and I'm done with that part. You know, I, I, I had my share of the starving artist and I'm out of it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard for people to understand that you can make a very good living doing art, you know, and that you can have enough time to teach. It's just hard for people to believe because there's all these conceptions about art, all of these cultural sayings, you know, starving artists, you know, all of that, that, that are at play. You don't have that when it comes to other profession. You don't have that with doctors, lawyers, engineers, you know, and, and all of that. You don't have starving doctor, <laughs> right? Yeah, so it doesn't work against these professions, but it does work against the profession of artists. And I'm not to say that there aren't any starving artists. There's a, a number of starving artists, but that's not so much because of the quality of what we do than because they don't know how to sell it. <laughs> you know, and uh, as I say, buy my book, you know, the one on marketing, and that will help. So let's look at another question on uh, yeah. workshops. What will I learn 
on the workshop that I cannot learn on my own. I've noticed... Uh, or in the book, right? Yeah, either. Or in the book. Usually I get this question over the phone. I've noticed, I noticed that you guys are giving a workshop to Arches National Park. What will I learn on your workshop that I wouldn't learn on my own going to Arches and Canyonlands by myself? And usually the cost comes up. You know, the entrance to Arches is $20. You want $1,400 for the workshop. You know, why do I have to pay $1,380 What am I paying extra, for? Right? Well, obviously, and then also the same question is, you know, is it, am I paying for lodging and uh, food, food and travel and and uh, you know all of that or is it just the instruction and it is just the instruction we could also include the lodging but it would double the cost and then the problem uh, including lodging is that then we are now tour guides we have to make all the reservation we have to check people in check people out do all of these things take care of room cleanliness you know transportations and guess what now we can't teach photography no because we're yeah. tour guides you have to be very careful I mean they, I personally believe that we can only do so much property and that if somebody tries to do too much or everything eventually something has to suffer and what's going to suffer obviously the teaching teaching. because if you have to you know drive the participant make sure they are in their rooms the rooms are clean everybody's happy that comes first and then after that maybe we'll find a little bit of time teaching in our workshops everybody takes care of their own accommodations their own transportation and what do we do we focus 100 percent on teaching yes our very first workshop that we did together, though, we did drive everybody, and um, it was a we took care of the hotel <laughs> accommodations. Yeah. The problem is, is I started getting complaints. People right. didn't like their room. They wanted to stay at a different hotel. Well, you know what? It's yeah. better this way. You pick the hotel you want to stay at. We can focus on the teaching. I remember one participant who went into their hotel room that we had reserved, checked them in, gave them the key, gave them the pass, you know, so they can get in, and goes in that room, and we thought we were done and we were getting ready to give a lecture. They went in the room, and it smelled like Lysol. Apparently, the maid had spilled a Lysol bottle in the room and forgot about it, and the participant came back, and said, I can't have that room. This is a disaster. I need to move to another room. And off went the lecture. Yes. Because we now had to get rid of that problem, find another room for this person, take care of the problem because they couldn't sleep. And what, what came first? The room. Right. The lecture was basically sacked. Right, it was. And, and uh, we, it was, like I said, it was a disaster. And that happened for the whole workshop on different levels. Um, you know, and it's, it's just one or the other. And, and so, you know, maybe some photographers can do everything, but um, that's what I'd be suspicious of. You know, it, you know people that ask, uh, do you photograph during workshops? I think they, they've had a bad experience usually with a photographer that basically finance their own trip through the workshop, which is not what we do. But I think that an experience that people really need to watch out for is, can this photographer actually get me in my room, drive me, feed me, and then teach? Or is the teaching going to go, right? That, that's a much m- more important question. People look at the fact that they get a package deal, but you know, they don't look at the fact that the, uh, the instructor might actually be overstretching themselves. And you know, by the way, in regard to the package deal, if we offer workshops with lodging and with transportation and even with food, we have to make the price higher than what anybody would spend on their own. Because we have to pay ourselves for the time that it takes to register everybody, to sign up the rooms, to make all of these preparations. And eventually, that's work for us, and we have to be paid for it. So it ends up being more expensive than if people do it themselves. So there's really no saving here. It's just you know, a number that's global as opposed to a number that's only part of it. 
No, I agree. Uh, going back to the question, what will I learn on the workshop that I cannot learn on my own? Another answer I have for that is that you're going to learn more in five days that would take you years and years to learn, right. even if it's right. just about a location. Yeah. Because I schedule the workshops at specific times, yeah. and I know specific lighting situations that we you know, that we will encounter if the clouds and everything mm. well, yeah, that's part <laughs> play of out right. You know, when, whenever I hear that question, you know, what am I going to learn with you that I can't learn on myself? I, I always think back to the Beaux-Arts because when I was at the Beaux-Arts, uh, one of the students, I don't know what took him, raised his hand. Uh, the, the, one of the teachers said, is there any question? And he raised his hand and he said, why am I here? I'm just doing drawing and painting. It's not like I can't do it at home. What am I learning here that I can't learn at home? This was in <laughs> France, you know, in, in the late 70s. Right. And, you know, obviously it's very funny for me to hear it today in America in the 21st century. Right. And basically I always think of the answer that the teacher gave to that student because I, I really looked at the teacher and said, yeah, there you are. Now what are you going to say? What are you going <laughs> right. to say? Right? And the teacher looked at the student and he said, you know, you're not going to learn anything here that you wouldn't learn at home. Because indeed, if you really, really, really put your mind to it and you draw eight hours a day, it's five days a week, right? Right, exactly. You'll probably get there after five years. But the question is, are you really going to draw eight hours a day for five days for five years? Exactly. And the answer is no. You will get discouraged because you're not going to get feedback. You're not going to get the, the answers when you get to that hurdle, right? When you get to that place where you're stuck, right? And, and in painting, it's different from photography. But uh, in painting, a place where you get stuck very, very quickly is you've done the whole painting, but there is this one little area that you have not finished. Right. And you just can't finish it for the sake of you. I mean, you just somehow draw a blank. And, and that's where the teacher comes in and will help you just finish that little area and have a completed painting as opposed to a quote-unquote work in progress. Oh, definitely. And of course, you know, there's other hurdles. You know, in, in drawing, you can make the same mistake for five years. It's not hard. If, if nobody tells you that it's wrong, you think it's right and you do it. So the question is, are you really willing to go through all of that? And are you really willing to take the chance that you may be wasting your time? You know? right. And I think that's what we can offer to people that come to a workshop is not so much that they couldn't do it on their own. Sure enough, if you spend your whole, the next five years of your life doing it every day, five days a week, you'll learn. But you can also spend five days with us and we're going to see what you're doing. We're going to watch how you do it. We're going to look at your work and we're going to tell you things that may have taken you years to figure out if you ever figured it out. You know. I agree. But also in a workshop or a classroom environment, you get to look at other people's work and you have that interaction, right. which is really good. Well, yeah, there is, there is that level also, the interaction with like-minded people. Exactly. And then there is a third level, which I call immersion. That is, unlike a trip where you might you know, look at a little bit of landscapes and then maybe go shopping and then go to some galleries and go to the visitor centers and study the culture, maybe take, uh, you know, a horseback ride or a boat ride or who knows what, maybe even go to an amusement park. Here, we're not going to do any of that. We're going to do photography from sunrise to sunset for five days. Right. We're going to talk photography for five days for sunrise to sunset. It's immersion. That is, it's for most of the people that come with us, at least on the first workshop, 
It's an experience like they never had. They've never ever focused on photography to that extent. Yes. You know, it's immersion. It's it's intense. They they usually live with a completely different understanding of what is involved when they walked in because it's not casual, you know. And I, and I think that we are not satisfied with just getting a good shot. We want a good shot all day long if we can, we, over and over and over again. We are hunting for it. So another question I have is what level are the photographers at who join your workshops? And what is your answer? My answer is that everybody is at a different level. From beginner to advanced. Exactly, from beginner to advanced. But that it doesn't matter what level you're at when you join our workshop. Because everybody is going to learn. Because we don't teach at a specific level. We, we teach individually. That is, there is some group teaching, but then there is a lot of opportunities during the workshop to do individual teaching. Exactly, because we walk around and we help everybody. We ask them, you know, how's it going? You know, let me see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do you need help? Do you have any questions? And I think so it really doesn't matter what level you're right. at. I think somebody who has never taken a workshop is going to learn an enormous amount because they basically have everything to learn. Uh, a lot of people have, like we explained before, misconceptions or preconceptions about what is involved. But somebody who has an advanced level can benefit an enormous amount because we can now address higher level questions. You know, obviously, if I have to explain to somebody how to set their tripod, we are miles away from how to express a personal vision. But if a student comes in and they already took care of all the technical, let's say, bagage, then we can go straight to the personal vision. Right. So it doesn't really matter. The question is, you know, what is it that you want to do? You know, and and having an awareness of what level you are at so that you can benefit the most. During the field workshops, I've had several people ask me if they can follow you when you photograph and literally photograph side by side with you if that was a problem. Yeah, and of course, that's perfectly fine. And actually, I encourage it, you know. A lot of people want to watch over my shoulder. And I think that to me, that's one of the enormous benefits of a workshop. You want to see how somebody with a lot of experience, somebody who has created successful photographs, does it. Right. And you're very comfortable with it. Oh, I'm a professional. I can work and talk at the same time. And teach at the same time. I'm not sure if I can walk and chew gum at the same time. (laughs) You've been told that before. (laughs) I have. have. But I can teach Teach and and photograph at the same time. Because I can talk about what I do and do it. You know, it's not difficult. And that's the mark of a professional. You know, you have to be able to sort of verbalize what you're doing, you know. What other questions do you get? Uh, Another one, because... I recommend, you know, that before the workshop, that the uh, workshop participants read certain chapters in your books. The question I get a lot is, why do I need to read these chapters, and why do I need to study the work of other artists? Yeah, this is why is question, this important? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's important because we don't go over the book. During the workshop, right. we, we don't, don't have time. Teach, well, yeah, and also we don't teach what's in the book. So that if you have read the book, you're not basically hearing the same thing again. That they read. 
That's the number one reason, because one of the trademarks of our workshops is we always teach something which is the latest of my research. I'm constantly writing, I'm constantly researching photography, and we are teaching the latest things that I'm working on. And those are not published because it takes a year to two years, you know, actually more like two years to publish a book. So if I write something this month, it's not going to be in print for two years, provided that it's ever in print. A lot of what I write is never doesn't make it to the book. I write so much that you know no publisher would be insane enough to have me publish everything. So a lot of what we teach during workshops is not available anywhere else. Right. Doesn't make it to the web, doesn't make it to the books. Some of it will, but not everything. And that's what we want to go over. That's the most exciting. So we assume that students either have read the book or will read the book or are reading the book during the workshop. Yes. And if they don't have any books, if there's no other way, we'll loan them a book during the workshop so they can, you know, peruse. Well, and sometimes it's just referring to, like, um, in your second book, Mastering Photographic Composition, Creativity, and Personal Skills, Chapter 15 is literally a checklist of the technical things that they need to keep in mind when creating an image, and then also the artistic checklist Mm -hmm. of what they keep in mind. And I always have that book available on the table if they don't have it with them so that they can refer to it because these are things that they cannot change when they get back home in their studio. Yeah, you have to know what you can change later on and what you cannot change later on. There's an assumption that everything can be fixed in Photoshop. That's not true. There's a whole lot of things that can't. And those you have to get right in the film. On the other hand, there's a lot of things that can be changed and those you don't have to worry about. You know, Um, but definitely instead of teaching that list, we are going to refer people to the book. And it's no different from taking a university class and having a book and the instructor saying, you know, refer to page so-and-so, right? Right. Um, And in many ways, I wrote that book, the second one, the one on composition, to work as a workshop manual. You know, because I got tired of just, uh, you know, telling people and spending so much time teaching those materials. And of course, that takes away from what we can do that's new and different during the workshop. Right. And we also, um, we give them a viewfinder. Right. We go over, um, you know, why it's important to use a viewfinder. And that you can't teach What are the advantages to using a viewfinder, why it's important to use a viewfinder. And then I also have pages of skill skills enhancement right. exercises for them to do on their own right you know right. and then we have handouts we have lectures we, we have, have other I handouts mean, every day there is at least two lectures uh, and then the print review so it's very very uh, instruction oriented and very intense uh, regarding instruction well like you said you're totally immersed that's for what it's five about days. yeah if you want to go to six flags go to six flags if you want to go to new zealand go to new zealand but if you come to a workshop we are going to do photography this is not about taking horseback rides and whatnot it's about photography only. And it's very important because I think a lot of people don't reach their maximum capacity and, and don't achieve their best work because they get distracted. Yes. And, you know, it's no fault of their own. Very often people are going to go to the location we photograph with their family. And everybody in the family has a different interest. Theirs is photography. But then somebody wants to go to the beach. Somebody wants to do, take a horseback ride. Somebody wants to go do the ride. Somebody wants to go visit the museum. And soon enough, you know, everybody is in, uh, you know, s- spread around. And photography sort of takes, a, you know, a back seat. So this is an opportunity for a photographer to put photography in the front seat so that this is the only thing that matters. Another question that I get is, uh, 
Why do you recommend taking notes when we create images in the field? Right. Why is that important? I attend seminars. I do, you know, I hire people for consulting and I always take notes because you cannot remember everything. It's that simple. Um, we remember, if we don't take notes, we are lucky if we remember 25% of what is being told to us. Probably we remember 10 to 15%. If you take notes, you can potentially remember 100%. You have to take notes very fast. But I have done it and I have remembered about 10%, 100%, sometimes 90%, and then you can fill the blanks usually mm -hmm. through research. You cannot fill the blanks if you have remembered 15 to 25% because the majority of what you were taught is gone. Right. But if only 10% is gone, you can usually fill in the blanks. Right. Um, that's why I recommend taking notes. You You're know? a very good note taker because I remember yeah. in college reading yeah. through some yeah. of your notes and I yeah. was really impressed yeah. at your note taking ability. And, and I think my note taking skills is what has led me to write the kind of books that I write mm -hmm. because my books are basically an extension of, of the note taking process that I use. Right. Yeah. I have learned how to write down things very quickly so that they make sense to me. They don't have to make sense to anybody else. Right. They make sense to me. I can decipher it. I can rewrite it in long hand. I also have learned to organize things. That is, you have to follow the train of thoughts of the teacher, you know, which is main areas, sub areas, and so on. You know, right. Uh, and number and whatnot. But yeah, I recommend taking notes because I don't see how you can study a subject seriously with somebody who is not teaching from the book and not take notes. Right. I, I, it, it defeats me. You know, I, I mean, you know, again, maybe some people have skills that I don't have, but I couldn't do it. So that's why I recommend it. That being said, it's not, you know, something that you must do. It's something that you can do. Well, I also believe that it's important to take notes when they're in the field on their own. Because just recording the color palette of the landscape, you know, writing down the colors that sure. they see, yeah. uh, what they want to express, how they felt. Mm -hmm. You know, I think this is all very important. I know the colors in the Southwest, but if I went back east and you and I were photographing and painting back east, I would have to write all of that down because I don't know the colors in the east. Right. I would have to take notes on the, uh, the color palette. I would also, you know, take notes on what I wanted to express and how I felt. Mm -hmm. I think because these are things that you want to remember when you go back to your home studio and you start working on those images in Photoshop. Right. You need um, and, and to have a why, reference. That's point. why you want to give yourself some time between shooting and processing. There is a an assumption in photography that the camera is going to record all of that for us. It's going to record the colors. It's going to record the contrast. It's going to record everything because it's a camera. Well, it's certainly going to record something, but it does not rec record what you see because what you see is processed through your brain. And the camera doesn't have a brain. It has a sensor. It's a purely mechanical device. It records things literally. What we see is partially literal, but it's very largely emotional. Just ask people what they remember. And, you, and you know, if you were to factually write, let's say you go to a scene, uh, a specific location, and you write down the factual description of the place as it is, as, as accurately and dry and unartistic as you can. And then you go home and you ask the person that you were with to tell you what they saw. And, and you write that down. And then you compare the factual description to their memories. There will be very little in common. As far as colors, contrast, and so on, very little. Because it's purely emotional. Our memories are not reliable. Right. 
That's the problem. And so, of course, if you have no notes and you just go with what the camera recorded, guess what? You're going to have literal photographs. Anybody can do that. In practice, what you really have are the colors that the engineers of whatever camera company you purchase, be it Nikon, Canon, Phase One, Hasselblad, Sony, uh, Leica, you name it, have decided it should be. So you're basically having the style of these engineers. Right. You know, but you're definitely not being creative at all. And you're definitely not being inspired by what you really saw. So I, I recommend taking notes. Now, you know, again, whether people do it or not, that's not within my control. But we have to keep in mind that if you do none of these things, then there is no way for you to be any different from other people because other people do none of these things. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? and, and if we want to achieve a higher level of art, we have to do more. You know, I mean, w the quality number one of the snapshooter, you know, the person that takes snapshots, is that they do nothing except press the button. Right? And of course, most people will say, well, what else can I do? Well, you can do a lot, you know, and if you don't know what, just come take a workshop with us and we'll teach you. Right. Uh, because that's where it's at. Well, know? another question we get is, why can't I photograph everything that just catches my eye? Sure, exactly. And, and the reason for that is because you give me the, book, the name of a book that's titled Everything That Catches My Eye. Everybody does it. Right. People think they're original, but that's what everybody does. Everybody. The first project that I worked on was titled Everything That Catches My Eye. <laughs> and so is the first project of every photographer and every artist in the world. Now, it doesn't have to be very long. For some of us, it lasts us a week. Right, which For is others, great. unfortunately, if we don't step in and say, okay. You're not going to do that. It lasts us a lifetime. <laughs> Another valid reason to take a workshop. So you stop doing that. Right. Because the question, if you stop, is what else do you do? Well, that's what we're here for. Yeah. But I think a good question to ask yourself is, you know, why did whatever it was catch my eye and seriously look at it and right. figure it out? But that requires knowledge of how to approach that question. You know, and again, it's not innate. You know? right. the, the thing we forget about art is that it's not innate. Art is a learned practice. Even though it's based on inspiration and creativity, it's not an innate practice. What's innate are, are extremely basic functions. Uh, they are not advanced functions. Anything that has to do with higher level functions, such as philosophy, you know, obviously, you know, some aspects of religion and art, they are at the top of the pyramid and they are definitely learned. And to be a good artist, you have to learn how to approach these questions. There's no doubt about it. And the funny, fascinating thing, I think the reason why we play a role is in American culture, and for the most part in Western culture as a whole, there is no more art training. Right. And so most likely, if you have grown up in these cultures, either you've had a very minor amount of art training or you have had none. How can you create fine art photography? That's why I, I laugh when I go to shows and all these banners that say fine art photography. These are very good technicians for the most part, but they are not artists. Exactly. Because learning technique is something that we learn in school. We, yes. we learn how to approach highly technical tasks through many classes, you know, be it mathematics, uh, you know, geometry, sciences, you know, uh, even forestry, you know, all these classes that are based on science. You know, any class that has science in front of it is teaching people how to do technical things. You know, but the problem is fine art has two parts and the other part is art. Right. <laughs> and that's not taught, you know. Right. And I think that's where we come in. You know, people say, why should I take a workshop? Well, there's many reasons and we've gone through them. But a very important one is study art. Right. And not just technique. 
because that's where we separate ourselves from a lot of these other workshops. We do teach technique. If somebody wants to know a technical aspect, we'll teach them. But we also teach art. Exactly. Well, most workshops teach us technique. I mean, I subscribe to newsletters that day after day after day tell me more about how to operate Photoshop and Lightroom. That's nice. But what we teach is how to express a personal vision, how to develop a personal style, how to be yourself right. and why it matters. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of people don't think it matters. I mean, one of the things that shocked me when I moved to the U.S. and I started teaching English is that every student that I had that had come out of high school, which literally was every American student, did not want to write in the I format. They did not want to say, all right, I did that. They wanted to say, we do this, people do that. And I had to literally create assignments in which they would get an A if they said I, and they would get an F if they didn't. And of course, every student told me, well, in high school, I was downgraded if I used I, and I got a good grade if I, did, if I used we. And I would have to tell them, okay, everything you, you learn in high school was wrong as far as this is concerned, because writing in a creative fashion is about you. Right. <laughs> you know, and so the same with photography. Fine art photography is about us. It's not about somebody else. And if we don't know how to express ourselves, there's just no way we can make it about us. And so that's one of the things we teach during workshops. I think just one of the last questions is, uh, why do we have a no tag along policy and allow spouses to attend for half price? Yeah, a lot of people ask us that. Well, you know, first of all, if somebody is willing to attend at half price, they are willing to attend at full price. To me, it's oh, either pay or not pay. You know? exactly. and I don't think we should start having half price and full price. If a spouse wants to attend or a significant other, they can certainly attend at full price. Um, can they tag along for free? That's a question we get very often. The answer is no. And there is a very, very good reason for that. And the reason is that if somebody tags along, without having paid, they basically have no interest in photography. And very quickly during the workshop, usually within hours, they start to make remarks like, well, how long are we going to be here? I'm getting tired. Can I go? Is this going to be like that all day? What are we waiting for? In other words, they don't understand what we are doing and right. they don't appreciate it because they are not involved. And it just breaks what I would call the immersion process. Right. You know? When's breakfast? When's lunch? You know, where, can I take a break? How, are we going to be here all day? What are we going to do next? None of that matters to anybody because they are here. They love what they are doing. But right. it matters to somebody who is not here for any reason except to tag along with their husband and or their wives or significant other or whatever you have. And that just doesn't work. No, it doesn't. You know? If people I mean, tagged along and, and said, I love this, I want a photograph, I'd be good. I'd be okay with it. And I'd tell them, please enroll, you know. But if somebody is just there to tag along quickly, they get bored. They do. Uh, and then, of course, in Arizona, they end up sitting in the car and frying. Right. <laughs> Which brings a health issue, you know. So that's the reason. We'd, and we've had literally participants, not just one or two, but a lot, complain and say, why is this person here? And we have to explain, well, you know, they wanted to accompany their significant other, their husband, wife, and we let them in. And participants telling us, listen, that doesn't work. And that, that's where we stop. We basically stop by popular demand. You know, if you want to take a trip with your family and 
please do so. Well, it's not a vacation. <clears throat> it's not a vacation. A workshop is not a vacation. Right. Because you know? you're there uh, to solely... And, and we guarantee that people that come to our workshop will be in the company of people that are like-minded, who love photography, who want to do photography, who are there for no other purpose. And they're passionate. And it's passion. <laughs> yes. yeah, they are passionate. Passionate. And unfortunately, when somebody tags on, they're not passionate about yes. it. They actually don't care. And sometimes, you know, the worst happens, which is they put it down. This is boring. I don't like this. This sucks. Well, okay, you're here for free, and now you're putting everything that we do down. It just doesn't work, you know. And so we had to draw the line. There was a time when we let, let, let it happen. Yeah. Everything that we've done that hasn't worked is now no longer in the workshop. Right. That, that's basically what it is. If people wonder why don't you do that, it probably is that we tried it and it did not work. Right. Well, that was um, when we first started just doing one-day weekend workshops in the Phoenix area. We learned real quick not to uh, have the tag-alongs in the workshop. The, one of the worst things that can happen with a tag-along, because uh, people drive themselves, is the significant other, husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, has it and just wants to go home. And, and the real photographer, the person who has paid and wants to be there, has to drive them back. Mm -hmm. or, they have to leave. And leave. Yeah. And, they, and everybody loses. Mm -hmm. So, sure, the tag long did not pay, but then the person who actually paid gets only half or one third or a fraction of what they paid for. It just doesn't work. I actually recommend to uh, people who are trying to decide whether to attend a workshop or not to look very carefully if the photographer, the leader, the workshop leader, is taking tag alongs or not. And if they do, to not go. Because I wouldn't want to be there. I wouldn't want to be in a group where there's one or two or, or who knows, maybe four or five nagging people that are like, well, when is this going to be done? When do we go? And constantly breaking the immersion process. Oh, definitely. Definitely not good. The last thing I want to think about when I'm creating art is somebody who wants to live. <laughs> right. Because that reminds me too much of being in bad company. Or wondering you know? if they're bored or not. Yeah. When is this going to uh, end? Well, and then what if it starts to, you know, if it's cold or warm or rain? All of these are problems. <laughs> yes. Now, I can't believe you're here under the rain. You can't believe you're taking it so hot and it's dry and there's no water. Well, when you're really immersed in something, you don't think about any of that. No. You know, we've all had the experience of doing something and all of a sudden looking at our watch and four hours have elapsed it was hard it we, we did not have anything to eat maybe nothing to drink and we did not care because we were fully absorbed right and that's when you're the most creative yes but if during the time somebody taps on your shoulder and say when are we leaving because i'm tired i want to go to blah 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 that's it it's over i agree now your creativity is all gone you know uh, and, and we want to foster this kind of situation. We want to foster people having these periods where they lose sight of time. Right. And, and for that, we have to basically get only people that are totally committed to this. And it's important. So I don't know if we I have think we any covered other... everything, yeah. It seems like we've covered all of the questions that were asked. But maybe we missed some questions. And so if we did, and if you're listening to this and you have a question that we haven't answered... Email it to us, you know. Uh, my email is alan, A-L-A-I-N, at beautiful-landscape.com, or you can go to my website, beautiful-landscape.com, and uh, find my email and email me from there. And, and just, you know, 
Whatever question you might have. Oh, maybe another one is、uh, what type of gear, or some of them are not worried that they have the right camera, perhaps、right. to use on to attend a workshop. Yeah, somebody actually emailed yesterday, and he had his gear stolen, his camera gear stolen. Oh, yeah. And you know that's very unfortunate. And has signed up for the, the summit, summit and said, "Well, is it still worth coming? Because all I'll have is a Canon G12, because that's he's going to rent one." Um, He may know, rent another camera as well. A simple one, waiting for the funds to, from the insurance to come and repurchase new equipment. And my answer to him was absolutely because what we teach is not gear oriented. You're not going to take a better photo because you have a phase one digital back. You're not going to take a better photo because you have uh, some, uh, uh, you know, hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment. You're going to take a better photo because you know how to take a better photo. Right. Now, sure, if you want to create a billboard size photo, you know, let's say you want to print it big enough that you can cover the walls of your garage, you will need a phase one back or some form of digital back, high resolution. You know, that's really the only difference. If you use a Canon G12, maybe you can do a 16 by 20, right? right? If you use a digital back, you know, 50, 80 megapixel camera, you probably can do a mural. That's the only difference. As far as the quality of the photo, it's the same. If you don't know how to take a good photo, it's not because you have a hundred thousand dollar in equipment that you know. Right. The only thing is, you're going to take a higher resolution bad photo. <laughs> <Right> . <laughs> <You> <laughs> it's going to be much more precise. And worse. Be, well, there will be more details. <laughs> you may have better color. But it's still not going to be a good photo. Right now, you know, it all depends what the expectations are. If the expectation is a better photo is a sharper photo, then you don't need to come to a workshop. Just get a digital back, and you achieve the goal. A better photo is not a, a sharp photo. We've actually noticed at the Grand Canyon that our best-selling image, you know, we literally bought the first house because of it, has a big blurry area. On one side of the image, right? But it did not matter because that was not the point of the image. The point of the image is the emotional impact. The fact that it's blurry or not in one area was caused by the wind shaking some trees, and nobody ever complained. No, you know,、uh, I actually wonder if it was, if it wouldn't actually sell less if it was sharp. You know, who knows? You know, but there's a whole lot of misconceptions there. You know, that if we improve the technical, we improve the whole quality of the photo. No, if we improve the technical, we improve the technical. And that's it. We don't improve the artist,、right. you know. And and the whole thing that can be achieved by buying more expensive cameras is the technical, because cameras have no artistic capabilities whatsoever. There isn't a single camera out there that can pretend to have artistic qualities, you know. Some lenses can because they are, give blurry effects or off focus or soft focus, you know, things like that.、Mm-hmm. That gives a, an emotional quality to the image, but not cameras. Right. Yeah. So、I、it doesn't matter what gear you have,、mm-hmm. as long as you have a camera, right? You'll be fine. And I've had some questions, but they're more personal to others,、um, whether they're in a wheelchair or not. Whether you know, they'll call me and ask me, "Can I attend this、right. workshop?" Or、um, well, if you're in a wheelchair, you don't want to do a sand dune workshop. Yeah, that's definitely what it is. You want to have a hard surface workshop, and we've had several participants come to workshops. And we help them find one, you know, persons who are in a wheelchair、yeah, that, that accommodate a wheelchair. Yeah, and yeah. we know quite a bit about wheelchairs. We even know terrain that actually can cause punctures. And yeah, I didn't <laughs> know about learned, that until、yeah. the last. But you know, there is very specific concerns that we can address. Definitely, it's mostly about the surface. But also you know. the.、Uh, The、yeah. prosthetic legs. We've had several、right. people、uh, with、we've, those. We even had somebody、um, who was legally blind. Actually, well, several people. Actually,、yeah. we've had three legally、yeah. blind people, and we had、yeah. a seeing eye dog on one workshop、right. with、yeah. us.、Um, 
you're not ruled out because you have one of these challenges. No. Yeah. And, and really the best is to talk to us personally. Call us. Our phone number is 928-252-2466. And uh, we can help you over the phone. And if, you, if we really think that you can't do it, we'll be honest with you. Oh, we've definitely. Had, we've had a, a student who had a heart attack and literally could not drive and could barely function. And I told him, I'm sorry, but this is not going to work. We have to wait until you recover. Yes, yeah. you're too weak. Yeah, you're yeah. too weak. I mean, we need to give you some yeah. healing time. Yeah. You need some healing time. Um, so you know, we are very honest about it. You know, we don't need to force somebody into a workshop that's not meant to happen. Uh, but we also know that there are a lot of ways that you can attend a workshop, even if you have challenges, physical challenges. You know, age also. You know, can be people. Oh, some old, people. Or, well, you know, they'll ask me. Young, well, yeah. they'll tell me. You know, I'm turning seventy-six yeah. and. You know, do you think I can do this workshop? Right. And, you know, well, we go over uh, what that workshop involves. Right. You know, um, one of them was the Antelope Canyon workshop where I explained, you know, this is our most extensive hiking workshop. So, right. you know, I just need to know, do you walk regularly? Because we'll be, you know, walking one to right. two miles a day, you know, and I'll talk about the elevation and well, the elevation is also another mm -hmm. thing because some people have elevation sickness. And when yes. we go to the bristle cones during the Mono Lake workshop, we go up to 12,000 feet. Yeah. So that's a concern. But again, we've had people do everything except that, that bit, you know, mm -hmm. because... Altitude right, sickness. Altitude yeah. sickness. So, or they'll start taking their pills before oh, yeah. the workshop. So there's all sort of challenges that can be met, I mean, that we can fix, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I said, just contact us, call us. And, uh, you know, that, those are things that have to be worked on one-on-one, -on -one, you know, personally. Yeah. Yeah, hip yeah. replacements or knee replacements, right. you know. Yeah, and something. there's more and more people that have those done. And most of the time, they actually are better off after the surgery than before. We've actually had participants that stopped attending workshop because they need to have the knee replacement. Well, they replacement were so, in so much pain. Or, or some joint replacement and then can start again and, and are happier and do better. Mm -hmm. They are very important concerns, you know. Uh, you know, another question we get is, do I need an SUV? And that depends on the workshop. Most workshops, we don't need SUVs. Some workshops, we do. And if we do, yeah. if we're going to a sunset location where it's on a dirt road for a couple of miles and we need SUVs, then, you know, usually we just have right. everybody carpool with each other and it hasn't been a problem. No, and, so. and some people love having somebody else with oh, them. Some, some people, people actually loved. rent a big SUV so they can they do. Ha have other people with them. Well, they'll let me know yeah. ahead of time. I've mm -hmm. got an expedition. I can carry five people with me. Or a suburban. Yeah, we exactly. We can carry six people. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so there's a lot of camaraderie during workshops. There and is. Usually... You know, unless you forget your camera, you're going to find somebody to help you with well, food, anything. We've had yeah. one person whose uh, 5D broke on a workshop, and somebody lent her a 5D camera for the whole duration of the workshop because so, the mirror, yeah. the, right. mirror the mirror popped. fell off. Right. <laughs> the mirror popped. Yeah, it's funny off. because she she, looked, she you came to see me with her, and, and she came from the Cayman Islands. I know. And you came to see me with her, and you said, Alan, she's got a problem with her camera. I couldn't and figure I said, it out. And I said, what is the problem? I looked through the viewfinder. I couldn't see anything. So I popped the lens out, and I'm... The and mirror. I'm, I'm finding a mirror floating in there. And I told you, I said, I think I found the problem. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the mirror should, like, what do we should do? be attached. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so even if you forget your camera, or if your camera breaks, you can still attend a workshop, because a lot of people will have several cameras, and if they don't need them, they'll share. 
Yeah. You know? So I'm not saying come without a camera, but what I'm saying is if you break it and there's no other solution, we probably can find a remedy. And I carry several cameras myself. So yes. And several tripods. I've loaned tripods. Yeah, I've had one customer ask me if they could borrow, if you had an extra tripod yeah. that they could borrow, and that wasn't a problem. And sometimes I carry several, sometimes I only carry one, but if I'm told ahead of time, I can bring Then I'll bring it. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I have three or four tripods. At but I need point, to know so. ahead of time yeah. for something like that. And also that. prepare because of the adapter plates and whatnot. Yes, Because exactly. you can have the right tripod and the wrong plate, and you can't put the camera on a tripod. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, Having, having a car, but you forgot the key, right? Right, <laughs> you know? right. Not very useful. So. so these are all the questions that we get, and I'm sure we forgot a few. So if you have a question that was not answered here, just email us, or you know, even why not call us and give us your question, and we'll answer it in a future podcast. So for now, this is uh, everything we wanted to talk about today. We hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to you listening to a future podcast from Natalie and I. Have a nice day, and uh, stay in touch. Bye.